Christmas in Eden by Margot Scott and Natalie Knight. This obsessed daddy belongs at the top of Santa's naughty list. I wasn't marrying for love. My foster brother's widow needed health insurance and looking after. I've got a Chicago penthouse I barely live in and more money than God. It was a business transaction, plain and simple, until I met my new fiance's daughter. Just like that, my once practical decision becomes a lot more complicated. Eden is half my age and completely off limits. I have no right watching her the way I do. No justification for wondering how good she may taste. But I can't help it. I'm obsessed with my new stepdaughter. Her face, her curves, her perfume. But most of all, I'm obsessed with the way she calls me daddy. This December, all I want is the chance to show Eden how priceless she is. But when a certain Grinch threatens to expose our relationship, It'll take a Christmas miracle to stop our holiday cheer from fizzling into silent nights. Author's Note Romance authors Margot Scott and Natalie Knight have joined forces to bring a spicy Forbidden Age Gap Christmas novella. Literally, what more could you want? That's why you're here, right? Get Christmas in Eden by Margot Scott and Natalie Knight. It's live now. Welcome back, lady listeners. Hey, lady listeners. Welcome, welcome to a brand new week at Read Me Romance. We have Angela Marie Hart with us with a book called New Year Mine. We're going to play it in just a little bit, and we're going to talk about all of her good stuff that she has before that. So, well, we're going to talk a little bit before we play that. Anyways, I'm, I don't know what I'm saying. I feel like I'm high, but I'm not. I actually just like inhaled a milkshake and a corn dog before we started recording. And literally when we were counting down to hit the button, I was like three, two, like I could not figure out how to say two. <laughs> God, what if I'm having a stroke? Oh, God. Oh, God. That's not even funny. Oh, I know. I'm like, because we're, I'm like, we're getting too old for these jokes. I know it is. It's true. I'm like, fuck. I'm 41. I can't say it anymore. But we were just talking about. Um, we've got two more weeks left on after this. We've got two weeks left on the podcast, and then we're not coming back till February 7th. It's the week of February 6th. So, yeah, right. that we're coming back. I can't believe it. We're gonna have a nice long break. It's going to be much needed. I wonder if they'll miss us. No. Or maybe nobody really listens. No. Nobody's going to come back in February. It's over. I always think nobody listens to this. Do you know what I was thinking about the other day? Um, You know, I'm trying to clean out stuff. We had a Black Friday and Cyber Monday sale. So we were trying to like, you know, clean out you know, inventory and stuff like that and be like, okay, you know, next year we're going to start with new stuff. And cause we haven't had really new merch in a while on the website. Yeah. Um, you know, we've been concentrating on the book boxes and that kind of thing. And I'm already trying to think of stuff for the book box next year. So I'm going to do that during the break. I'm going to go through and I'm going to start getting stuff for the book boxes okay. so we can have it all together. But as I was going through it, you know, I was looking at the book boxes. I've got one from, I've got one from the first one we did and one from the second one we did. That's what I have left. And I was like, God, you know, how many more of these are we going to do? How much longer are we going to do the podcast? 
And it would just like kind of hit me where I'm like, will this have an end? Like, does the limit exist? <laughs> you know, will we just do this forever? I mean, if you're having a stroke, we may not be in. <laughs> you know what? Fair point. Fair God point. God knows I can't do it. By, I'm not doing this by myself. <laughs> I feel like you. You get on here and be like, here's the book. Shut up. <laughs> I feel like some DJs can go by themselves. I feel like if you really had to, you could go. You'd be fine by yourself. Oh, are you saying that I could talk to myself <laughs> for an hour solid? Challenge accepted. I was moved. My desk was moved in school to face a wall because my teacher could not get me to stop talking to people. And I was like, I'll just talk to myself. Joke's on you. <laughs> This is great. I'm the best person I know. Oh, shit. <laughs> I know, oh, right? God. Oh, my God. Well, uh, speaking of strokes, um, <laughs> the uh, I saw today that there is a movie that's coming out called Cocaine Bear. Have you heard about this? It no. was, like, just announced today. They have a trailer that's on YouTube, and it's based on true events. That's what it's on. So I actually listened to this on the podcast. My favorite murder did an cocaine. episode of it. Like, cocaine, cocaine Bear. So my favorite murder did a podcast about it. It was about a plane. I don't know the whole thing, but it was like a plane was overhead and they were running drugs and they had to unload some drugs before they got to their next location or whatever. So they kicked out like kilos of Coke out of the plane and the cops found it because a bear ripped into it oh my gosh. and ate the cocaine and then died. So, but they have made a movie and it's got a lot of big stars in it. It's actually Ray Liotta's last movie that he made before he passed away. And it's incredible. It looks so campy and dark and twisted and kind of fucked up and funny at the same time. Mm -hmm. But it's this bear who is eating all this cocaine and just goes on this murder spree. And this town is like trying to hunt this bear that is full of cocaine that's like murdering everyone. It looks so fun. So if you, so if you, fun. I know, I've if always you, thought that about cocaine. That's why I've never tried it. <laughs> hey, there's some things where you just don't need to know how good it is. And for I know, you, that's, that's one of them. That's one of them. I was like, I do not. I knew that mm-hmm. even in my early 20s when people were doing it. I was like, I'm not touching that because that's something I'd like. Listen, they don't call it yay for nothing. Because <laughs> that's what you do when you're on it. Yay! Oh, God. Yeah. I'd be a mess. Anyways, but yeah, Cocaine Bear. I just saw that earlier and I was like, I need to mention this. Can you imagine if he was a shifter? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> There's got to be a romance book about it out there. So um, I have a follow up from last week's episode um, with Trisha Wolf. We were discussing the book. Um, this man that I'm re I'm listening to right now, it's from his perspective. So the name of it's, um, this woman by Jody Alamopoulos. So this is going to be a little spoiler about the book if you haven't read it. So if you want to fast forward, you can, but I got to the part where he is separated from her for four days and he sleeps with two other women at the same time. And so you're in his head when it happens, but it doesn't really happen. I mean, like, He's sort of like, he's just drunk out of his mind, I guess. And these women are let into his office by like his bitch ass secretary or the woman that his manages the manor. Mm-hmm. She lets him in there. And so it's like, it happens. And like, he's like mid fucking, he's like, get the fuck. What is happening? Get the fuck out. And he kicks him out and he like, 
ends up locking himself. This is like the first night when this happens. So he ends up locking himself in this office for like three days and like just drinks himself stupid because he can't believe he did it. And though technically it was kind of like the Ross and Rachel thing where it's like she told him like, I need a break. I need space. I can't do this. I can't love you. And so it like broke him and he went and did this. And it was like, I wish that it wasn't in the book. But I can see it created a lot of conflict. Yeah, for three bucks. Yeah. I mean, he tries to keep it from her, you know, and that's the thing is because he's like, we weren't together, but I know this will hurt her. So he doesn't tell her. And then she finds out. And of course, like, then she's upset. So, you know, it kind of adds to it. So, and yeah, like you say, it was, the it's a trilogy and they're all really long books. I mean, it's like 20 something hours. This audio is. An author I don't want to mention did the same thing in one of her books. Mm-hmm. The exact same thing where it was two girls. Mm-hmm. He was drunk. Can't mm-hmm. remember it. Blurry. He just woke up. Mm-hmm. So that's like a thing, I guess. I guess that's what I wondered about at the time. And maybe it was, this was like a 2011 thing when it happened, you know, but yeah, both of them are kind of close together. Yes. It all kind of came out at the same time. I'm not saying anybody's copying anybody because everybody copies everything. To of course. A degree. Of course. I mean, that's why we have tropes and shit. Mm-hmm. But, but everything, I think sometimes in romance, a lot of things happen around the same time because it's what's in, you know, it's what's going on in books. Because like people, no, sorry, like you watch something or everybody's watching something or all mm-hmm. is the rave and a lot of people have the same thoughts in the back of their head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so creative things come out. Mm-hmm. Watching movies is creative. It feeds you mm-hmm. and things like well, it's that. It's just like Bridgerton's really popular, you know, so people start to write about Dukes and, you know, not that people didn't do it before, you know, that's kind of like this thing where it's like, of course people did the sort of cheating thing before. It's just, it's popular right now, you know? Yeah. So, but now I think like we talked about last time, people are more sticklers for like safety tropes and cheating and stuff like that, where it's like, well, what's another conflict besides cheating? Because a lot of people hate that. A lot of people. The people that can tolerate it is very slender. I just think that we've talked about it before. I just feel Mm -hmm. like even though our books are like light conflict, Mm -hmm. I feel like authors use it to provoke an emotion that they know they can trigger easily and quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an yeah. easy emotion to grab onto. Same thing to me with the love triangle. Like, yeah. of course you're torn because one person isn't perfect. You've, you're, you've written two perfect people for this heroine. How can she choose? You know? So of course, like, I feel like that's sort of an easy out as well. Yeah. I just feel like, to provoke that kind of, it's just an easy emotion to grab. Now to get mm-hmm. somebody to really emotionally invest in something, like mm-hmm. sometimes you read a book and it does pull at everything and you even cry and it's not a bad cry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, that's a real emotional, emotional mm-hmm. book. I just feel like, I feel like it's a little bit of a cheat. But then mm-hmm. at the same time, I don't want to say that either because that could be somebody's trope thing. Like they like no, when that is, happens. That's exactly right. Some people love it. Some people love a triangle. Some people love a broken hero. This book is angst from front to back. And some people, that's all they want to read because it feels good to them when it gives me anxiety, you know, mm-hmm. like, but it's not, and not every book is for every person, obviously. But, you know, I was thinking about like, 
you know, Sex in the City, when we talked about it, when it first came out, when they re- did a reboot, like, and just like that, that came out this year. I hated that they killed off Big, you know, yeah. immediately in the beginning of it. Like, the first episode, they killed him off. God, they got so lucky with that. I know, right? Because he ended up being a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> there was, did. like... I know they got lucky because otherwise it would have been terrible. But I just was like, really? That's how we're going to do this? Like, I don't know. I was never a big fan. And I told my husband, I was like, I just feel like that was lazy writing. And he was like, he's like, do you know the writers they have on that show? They're probably getting paid so much. I was like, then they could have come up with something better. Like, I I feel like a lot of people could have come up with something better. But okay. I feel like they could have... But you know what? They're not, they're probably not romance writer. They're probably writing for television, you know, or writing for a series or whatever it is. They're there to make interesting episodes. They're not there to like, yeah. you know, swoo an audience or whatever, you know, like, you know, they're not yeah. trying to make them fall in love to swoon. But yeah. True. I mean, the like when I think back on Sex in the City, I don't really think about the romances, except I think about Harry a little bit and Charlotte. I yeah. do think about them a little I bit, but generally them. I think about the girls and their yeah, friendships the friendships and funny things sure. and yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. That's true. I wanted to tell you, you did an excellent job on the new release post this week because I went through it and I saw that Ruby Dixon's um, "The Half Orcs Maiden Bride" was an audio now, and I was like, "Oh, bitch, you better bet!" <laughs> I was like one click. I think she had two audios this she week. She did. She had the other one that came out too. What was it? The wrong guy or whatever. Yeah. That one came out too. But the, the orc, the, the, it was the half orcs maiden bride. I've had the ebook forever, but I just haven't, you know, it's so hard for me to read ebooks. Like it, it's hard for me to even read a paperback. Yeah. I'm just, the dyslexia is just terrible. And I don't enjoy it as much when I do that. So it, I will wait for audio if I know it's going to be in it. And so I knew eventually she was going to do it. And I was like, I won't hound her about it. I'll just wait. And I saw it today and I was like, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm in this book right now and I'm coming to the end of it. I think I only have like maybe three or four hours left. And I know that this is going to end in a big cliffhanger because the first book does. Mm-hmm. And there's three books. I'm assuming she's going to do all three from his perspective. I probably won't continue just because I know what's going to happen, but it's been fun to go back in and, you know, reread this book from the beginning, yeah. you know, to start over. So I don't know. I don't know that I can keep going in it just because it is so, there's so much angst in it. And I just can't do that angst anymore. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's just because of my age or the world is crazy for the past four years. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, eh, yeah. mm-hmm. I'm good. So, yeah, I probably won't keep going in this series just because, I mean, it, like I said, it's been fun. I've enjoyed it, but I think I'm good with just the one book. But, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day that had read this series and I was saying like, oh, I went back and uh, I've been listening to the first one. And they were like, oh, my God, I had no idea. And so they went back and started reading it and was they were like, yeah, I don't like it as much. <laughs> and I was like, OK, OK, well, maybe it's just. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> I always remember that one time I went back and reread a book from like ever ago and mm-hmm. I remembered loving it. And I went back and read it like seven years later and I was like, I like this. He's a motherfucking asshole. <laughs> he yeah. can kick rocks. Mm-hmm. Yep. For it's sure. weird. It's like you're chased. I don't know. But I yeah. guess we 
those too. Yeah. You know, I wondered that like, if, you know, writing, I don't, I don't know. I feel like in a way we wrote like really dirty stuff. We pushed the envelope a lot. I feel like we kind of wrote without abandon for a long time. And then we kind of like went to like sweeter, more contemporaries, like, it was more about the story than the sex, you know, that kind of thing. Like over a while, it kind of went to that, but I yeah. don't feel like our rhythm really changed, you know, like there was always the possessiveness, always the safety, always virgins, all you know, that kind of thing. Like the, the formula was always the same, but maybe there were different flavors each time. Yeah. So I kind of feel like that part of us has stayed consistent, like the core to our books, which is why we've kept readers for so long. Yeah. You know, I actually had an author email me the other day and I can read it maybe on Thursday's episode because I, I found it very interesting what she was saying in the email. So and I like replied back to her. So um, we can talk about it on Thursday's episode, though. But yeah, it's, you know, I don't know. It, it's been a journey going back through it and I have enjoyed it, but I'm definitely ready for another book now. So, and it was it was a long one to commit to, too. <laughs> so. Let's talk about Angela Marie Hart. So um, the book you're about to listen to is called New You Are Mine, and I'll read you the book bio for that one. What happens when you are snowed in with a man you have had a crush on since childhood? You remind yourself that he's your best friend's older brother, but she's out of town and he's sweet. He makes hot chocolate and looks really, really good shirtless. What's a girl to do? <laughs> with her extended family in town for the holiday season, alongside her already full house, Natalie hasn't had a moment of peace. Her best friend, Hope, plans to take advantage of the long weekend with her sexy new boyfriend in the city. Knowing that her house will be un empty, unlike Natalie's, Hope leaves her the keys. Natalie is thrilled to have four full days to herself until Hope's older, older brother, Clark, stops by. First, they get snowed in together. Then he cooks her dinner. After that, they have to share a bed. What's next? It is finally time to tell Clark that she's been in love with him since they were children. What if he laughs? What if he rejects her? What if Hope gets mad and she loses her best friend? What if her feelings ruin everything? Natalie is so busy worrying, she never stops to think, what if Clark loved her back the entire time? Together, they might, have, they might just get the Christmas present they've always wanted, but never had the courage to ask for. That's so adorable. This is so cozy. It sounds so cozy. That's what it's supposed to say. It sounds so warm and fuzzy. I know. Well, and, you know, it's ironic because Angela Marie Hart is all up in the cozies. So yeah. um, she has done this as a choose your own. I don't know if it's this particular one or if she has this, but I'm just going to read what she wrote. She has this as a choose your own romance option of sorts. She wrote a PG, PG-13 and R-rated love scene that you can go click on and get the bonus chapter. That's what it is for this book. You're going to hear there's a bonus chapter where she wrote the heat level. It can be what you want at AngelaMarieHart.com. We're going to have it in the show notes. We'll have the link to it, which I thought was actually pretty clever. So really if fun. you wanted like something just sort of tame and sweet love making or you wanted it nasty, you can pick, you pick your own adventure. So um, she's also doing a second bonus novella that focuses on the best friend, Hope, and her love life. Um, it'll be in her newsletter. She did say in the story that she mentions Alexa Riley. So I want to know what she's, what Hope is talking about. Who's this bitch? <laughs> <laughs> 
And then also, Angela Marie Hart is the founder and hostess of YouTube's first Cozy Mystery Book Club. She created a cozy holiday extravaganza. She's got it going on now. It's 12 Days of Cozies. It's from December 1st to December 12th. Um, she's sending daily emails that have, um, which the newsletters have unique bookish content that won't be shared anywhere else. So you can sign up for that newsletter. We'll have the link all in the show notes and we'll have it on the website where you can sign up to get all the stuff. And she says, when you open your email, you're automatically entered to win a giveaway, which I thought was really clever too. And then if you want more information on her cozy mystery book club, she hosts nightly reading sprints. So if you're an aspiring author, she does that as well. She does it on her Twitter. She does nightly writing and reading sprints. Then she, with her cozy mystery book club too, she does the reading ones. And then she does evening author chats on Twitter, um, guest blog spots by authors and book club members, as well as daily Twitter and Instagram giveaways. She's just like, I don't know how she does all of this. She's on the social media. Yeah, she does everything. So, and the big thing this week is she has an incredible giveaway. She sent this to me a couple months ago. But it's this huge basket. It's filled with all of this awesome bookish stuff. We're going to post up pictures and stuff and you can enter to win. And it will ship to you before Christmas. So enter to win and you'll get a nice Christmas present from her. <laughs> so everything will be in the show notes for you. Yeah. Guys. I mean, this is a lot, but yeah, everything will be down there where it's clickable. So let's play the first installment of New Year Ramon by Angela Marie Hart. Cinnamon. Natural Disaster by Sky Warren and Amelia Wilde. Carter Morelli had a plan when he left London, deliver the wildlife photographer and then complete his secret mission. Except, a lethal enemy has watched their every move. They tampered with a plane, leaving them stranded on a deserted island, and they kidnapped June Porter, the innocent photographer. In order to save her, Carter must confront the mysterious man in the jungle. Who is he? Savior or betrayer? He has no choice but to face the greatest enemy of all. The powerful feeling that has drawn him towards both June and the man in the jungle. Those feelings might kill them all. Welcome to the Midnight Dynasty. The Warring Morelli and Constantine families have enough bad blood to fill an ocean, and their brand new stories will be told by your favorite dangerous romance author. That's Natural Disaster by Sky Warren and Amelia Wilde. Grab it now. This is New You Were Mine by Angela Maria Hart. Read for you by Lou Banks. Chapter 1 Natalie. Thursday. Are you sure you don't mind me staying here? I ask the same question again, even though I usually hate it when people repeat themselves. Hope has always been an amazing friend, but she's taking awesome to an entirely new level. Looking over her shoulder, Hope brushes my question aside with a small wave. Natalie, it's fine. You need someplace quiet to study and get things done. My parents will be up in New Hampshire until Sunday. They have an afternoon checkout and everything, so they won't be home until late that evening. I want to take advantage of this super long weekend and spend every minute I can with Luke. You will have complete peace and quiet here. Enjoy it. 
I smile gratefully, thinking about my own home. Both sets of grandparents are visiting, along with my aunt and uncle and their three children. One set of grandparents arrived early for the Christmas season, while the other pair arrived with my aunt and uncle because their home had to have emergency construction. Apparently, bats had invaded their attic and made a meal out of wires in the fuse box. Their townhouse was one bad bat bite away from going up in flames. The timing has been anything but perfect. Add in my own four siblings and two parents, and the Davis house has become the equivalent of a human zoo. Instead of seeing two man-eating lions fighting over an antelope, visitors can watch my grandmother and mother argue over which recipe to use before any cooking even begins. I've been sharing a bed with my younger sister, Penelope, who tosses and turns in her sleep. She doesn't just toss a little. Penelope tosses a lot. She also happens to be the most athletic of my siblings, with muscles on top of muscles. Getting bumped and knocked about by her is no joke. The bruise on my right hip looks like something from a science fiction movie. I'm tired of being elbowed in the middle of the night and huddling by the edge of the bed to avoid getting kicked. The Davis house is like the McAllisters at the start of Home Alone, minus the mansion-sized residence. I've stayed at Hope's house plenty of times over the years. Mr. and Mrs. Miller have practically become a second dad and mom to me. I know their house like it's my own. I might even know their house better than mine because so many people keep coming and going. Plus, my sisters are constantly adding, removing, and redecorating things. By the time we were in middle school, Mr. and Mrs. Miller bought a rollaway cot that coincidentally lived in Hope's room. Even more coincidentally, the sheets they bought for the cot were red, my favorite color. I feel at home at the Millers. I've just never been at their house by myself before. I have multiple exams I need to study for, a term paper to write, and college applications to work on. A full four days to myself is a dream come true. I hide a smile behind my hand, pretending to suppress a sneeze. My dream is computer work and a good night's sleep. Hope's dream is a ruggedly handsome pre-med student and no sleep at night. Four days is four days, though. The teachers have an in-house work day today, and the faculty scheduled Friday off for building maintenance or something. I stopped reading the email once I realized I didn't need to be there. Four days to myself. Maybe my luck just might be turning around. Hope zips her weekender bag closed with a huge smile on her face. She had the bag mostly organized when I walked in, but I saw her add a sexy two-piece lingerie number, an adorable sweater, and a classy outfit in case her boyfriend, Luke, took her out to dinner. My duffel is packed with yoga pants, flannel pajamas, Victoria's Secret pullovers that I've put through the wash one too many times, granola bars, and at least 20 pounds of books. Clearly, we have different plans for our four days. 
Hope's plans look like a lot more fun. I pick up Hope's purse and an extra jacket for her as she buttons up a hunter green knitted sweater. Emotion bubbles up in my chest. Hope trusts me in her house. She wants me to succeed. Even better, this truly amazing woman is genuinely happy with Luke. I pull her in for a hug. I can't help it. Thank you for letting me stay here. You really are the best, best friend a girl could have. Hope hugs me back before grabbing her packed bag and keys. Goodness, maybe the lack of sleep really is getting to me. Hope pats my arm, giving me a warm smile. I think sometimes you forget how easy you are to love. I follow Hope downstairs as she continues. The parental unit stocked the fridge for me and therefore you. I left you fresh towels in the bathroom. They locked their room so that I couldn't go in. I really don't know why they thought I would want to, but they did. Anyway, if you get bored and want to decorate a wreath, I'm keeping the service club's Christmas wreaths in Clark's room. Hope goes on to say something else before opening the front door, but I can't hear it over the beat of my heart. Every single time. Damn it. I snap out of my crush-fueled fog in time to hear Hope cheerfully yell, I'll see you Sunday. I manage to get out a, you too, and wave before closing the front door. Clark's room. The one place in this entire house I've always avoided like the plague. Not because I think I'll catch my death, but because I've already got it bad. Real bad. My best friend's older brother, a.k.a. the man of my dreams. I've been in love with Clark Miller since I was five years old. I met him the first time Hope had invited me over for a play date. I was so thrilled to have a friend and be somewhere new. I was nervous. My hands kept fidgeting of their own accord. I still fidget, but not nearly as much. When Mrs. Miller gave me a chocolate chip cookie, I accidentally dropped it on the floor. I picked it up and didn't know what to do next. The day before, my mother had just scolded one of my sisters for eating a grilled cheese that had fallen on the floor. She got yelled at. I didn't want to get yelled at. But Mrs. Miller had just baked the cookies. I didn't want to be rude and never invited back. And the freshly baked cookies smelled really good. The chocolate looked perfectly melted and everything. Mrs. Miller told us she used dark chocolate to make the cookies. As a five-year-old, I didn't know what that meant, but it sounded good. Special, even. When Mrs. Miller excused herself so she could help Hope with her diabetes shot, I must have let my excitement boil over and splat went the cookie. I just stood there holding the floor cookie, blinking like an owl. Suddenly, a little hand grabbed my cookie and tossed it in the trash. I looked up and green eyes met mine. Without introducing himself, Clark Miller handed a new chocolate chip cookie to me, replacing the one he threw out. He went to leave the kitchen, but I ran up to him and broke the cookie in two. I tried to give him the bigger half, 
but he wouldn't take it. He took the smaller of the two pieces with a shy smile. Thirteen years later, and I'm even more in love with him. He just got better with age. I've heard from the Millers, and found out online from low-key searching his name, that Clark's been doing well at college. His social media accounts haven't been too active, which either means he doesn't have much to post, or he's so busy that he doesn't have time to post. Part of me wants to believe he's happy. The other part still hopes he's happy, just not happy with a girlfriend. Or girls, plural. The thought of that makes my chest tighten. A guy as good-looking as him must be attracting the eyes of co-eds. I can't let myself think about that, though. Last year, when he left for college, my heart physically hurt. I hated the idea that I wouldn't see him every day. Even though we were never together like I dreamed of, just seeing him gave me hope and brightened my day. All he had to do was hand me a water bottle when I was visiting Hope or give me a head nod in the hallway as I walked to class, and my day was complete. Since he's been gone, I felt his absence. I knew I would miss him, but I didn't anticipate how much. Every night as I try to fall asleep, it feels like I'm forgetting something because my day isn't supposed to be over yet. There was something else that needed to be done so that I felt whole. It didn't take me long to realize that Clark's absence was the reason. He's the incomplete part of my day. I haven't just been looking forward to winter break because that meant no school. I've been counting down the days because Clark will be home for the holidays. Each time I open my closet... I mentally plan my outfits for when I visit Hope or run into town in the hopes of seeing him. Yesterday, I hid my favorite sweater in my weekend bag so one of my sisters wouldn't borrow it. I didn't want it to get ripped or stained before Clark could see me in it. To some, it's a simple dark red sweater that works with the Christmas season. To me, it dips just so to my chest revealing a hint of something, especially when I wear a push-up bra to give the fabric something to show, but it still looks classy, elegant even. I also like that it's tight in some places and loose in others, showcasing what I'm comfortable with and hides the part of me I'm insecure about. Closing the front door, I begin to wonder, could I look in his room? Should I look in his room? Is that wrong? I glance over my shoulder towards the driveway. Hope's car is already gone. I check the locks on the front door again to make sure they're in place. A quick peek couldn't hurt, right? I look at the door one more time and pull on the doorknob. It doesn't budge. Good. Now is my chance. I half jog up the stairs, my heartbeat picking up pace. I know my beating heart has nothing to do with a light exercise. I just finished the fall track season a couple weeks back and barely broke a sweat running the 800-meter dash. Letting out a deep breath, I walk down the hallway and stop at his door.
He never decorated the outside of it with a sign, stickers, or anything. Just plain, old-fashioned white paint. For all I know, Narnia is on the other side of the door. Slowly, I turn the doorknob. Even though I'm alone in the house, I don't want to make a sound. I can't help it. I open the door as if security alarms are going to sound if the hinges on the door so much as squeak. Finally, I open the door just enough to slip into Clark's room. My jaw drops. There has to be over a hundred Christmas wreaths covering every inch of his room, maybe over two hundred wreaths. Not a single surface is visible under the green bristles. I knew Hope and some of the other volunteers had been bringing the wreaths home for days after school, but this is ridiculous. She's going to be vacuuming in here for hours before Clark comes home from college. It's a good thing I didn't open the door all the way. There are wreaths on the other side, too. So much for snooping. Without the same hesitation as before, I close the door with a thud. I could help decorate the wreaths, giving me a reason to move them around and potentially see what's under the stacks of green. Sighing, I know I probably won't have the time. One decorated wreath wouldn't be enough of an opening to see what's going on beneath the surface. Oh well. Closing the door to Clark's room, I look over at the last Miller family photo hanging on the wall. Even in a silly Christmas sweater, Clark looked gorgeous. He must have just shaven because as soon as he started growing facial hair, his five o'clock shadow started coming in around two in the afternoon. For some reason, I love that shadow. I've always thought it made Clark look rugged. Aside from the slight scruff, Clark has a classic way about him. He tends to wear single-colored clothing, no brightly colored patterns or graphic t-shirts for him, opens doors for everyone, says please and thank you, and looks at you as if he's really seeing you. In the photo, his dark hair is a little longer, curling a little at the ends, and his green eyes look more pronounced next to the evergreen Christmas tree. I feel myself smiling. He isn't even here, and he still has a hold on me. Five minutes ago, I was over the moon excited about the next four days. Now I can't wait for them to be over, so I'm four days closer to winter break. Four days closer to Clark. Chapter 2 Clark I adjust the radio dial as Chuck Berry sings, Run, Run, Rudolph, reeling like a merry-go-round. My head naturally bobs along to the tune. I've always liked Christmas carols, even when they play them the day after Halloween. I've even embraced the Christmas in July trend. Christmas carols don't just make me think of chestnuts roasting and silver bells. They make me think of Natalie. Long brunette hair, chocolate eyes surrounded by thick lashes, deep dimples, quick wit, and a voice more beautiful than angels. Natalie Davis, the girl who's had my heart since before I knew what love meant. I don't smile at Christmas carols because of the upbeat lyrics 
I smile because I picture her face. When she was in first grade, Natalie's class sang the 12 Days of Christmas at the yearly holiday pageant. She and my sister Hope were the two turtle doves. The first time the music teacher pointed to Hope and Natalie, I only heard Hope's voice. My girl was nervous. I wanted to get up out of my seat and join them on stage to help. Not that I could sing. I'd have embarrassed myself and everyone around me. I just wanted to do something for her. But after each verse, her voice got stronger and stronger. A melodious sound began to fill the gymnasium by six geese allaying. When they got to the end of 12 drummers drumming, Natalie was smiling ear to ear and more than holding her own. She had grown in front of my eyes. Sadly, that's how it's always been. Me sitting on the sidelines when all I've ever wanted is to be sitting next to her. I want to drape one arm behind her seat and hold her hand with the other. I want to enjoy things with her and not just near her. I want to be the second turtle dove. I keep telling myself that I'm coming home early to surprise my parents for their anniversary, but the real reason is to be closer to Natalie. I want to see her in person. Photos just aren't cutting it. They can't capture everything she is. As if the Christmas carols summoned them, snowflakes hit my windshield. Luckily, I'm only five minutes from my parents' house. This car wasn't meant to weather storms. Last year, Massachusetts had so many snowstorms I lost count. The dark clouds gathering in the sky make me think that we're in for another blizzard. Suddenly, I'm glad I remembered to pack my gloves. The farther along I drive, the farther away the houses are from each other. I can barely see the houses lining the street as the snowflakes fall harder. Between the gray skies and sparse housing, it's starting to look like the setting for a Stephen King novel. My parents' house is a solid five to ten minute walk from the closest neighbor on a good day. In this weather, I wouldn't even attempt to look out the window to find it. I'm relieved to finally turn into my parents' driveway. No doubt this is just the start of the storm. I park the car right behind the garage door, leaving plenty of room for a future snowplow to come and get to work. Not wanting to get soaked by the snow, I dash up the walkway. I almost fall flat on my ass, losing my balance on the top porch step. Damn. I'd better stay inside for the rest of the night. If I can't walk, I know I can't drive in this mess. It takes me a minute longer than usual to get the front door open. Someone locked the top latch. Probably my mother or Hope. They started talking about home security after they started binging Law & Order Special Victims Unit online. Flipping through everything on my keychain gives the snow plenty of extra time to find the top of my head, shoulders, and bring on a full-body sneeze. By the time I finally open the front door, I'm sure my nose is redder than Rudolph's and my hair looks like I just swam laps in the ocean. Totally, completely soaked. Great. Even the gym bag I packed my stuff in looks a little worse for the wear. I better leave it by the heater to dry off. Same goes for my jacket and shoes. 
I'll toss the rest of my clothing in the wash. Kicking off my boots, I find the house a little too quiet. My dad isn't on the couch with a remote in his hand, yelling at whatever sports team happened to be playing. There's no aroma of home cooking permeating the air. Nor is there a constant crinkling of tissue paper from wrapping Christmas presents. Plus, the complete lack of country and western twang singing about a truck, broken heart or broken roads, lets me know hope isn't home. Hello, I call. Silence is my only response. That's odd. Pulling out my phone, I see it 6.29 at night. Someone is usually home by now. Looking around, I notice my dad's car keys aren't dangling from their usual spot near the door, and my mother's oversized purse isn't resting on the end table. Maybe they went out to dinner or something. My coming home will be an extra big surprise. I drop my bag to the floor with a thud. Not wanting to stand around in wet clothing, I kick off my boots, remove my jacket, and then pull my shirt off over my head. Tossing everything on the floor by the front door, I tow my socks off. I'll pick everything up after my shower. Maybe by then I can toss my clothes in the hamper without drenching everything underneath them. Ruffling my hair, I attempt to get rid of some dampness. Shit. You would have thought I was outside for hours, not minutes. Might as well settle in. Anastasia by Sophie Lark. Anastasia is the princess no one needs, the fourth daughter born to an emperor without a son, and the only royal lacking a magical gift. Until she collides with the young Cossack rebel, changing both their lives forever. Damien is taken from everything he knows and raised as a ward of the Romanovs. Anastasia develops a strange kind of magic, shared only by the black monk Rasputin. While her powers grow in secret, boosted by forbidden contact with Damien, Anastasia makes a mistake with terrible consequences. Fate grants her a single chance to set it right, but saving what she lost may cost everything she loves. That's Anastasia by Sophie Lark. It's out now. Go grab it, lady listeners. Welcome back. Welcome back, lady listeners. So, like I said, make sure you enter this week's giveaway for the awesome swag basket with all the good stuff. There'll be a couple of winners, actually. There'll be one big winner for the basket, and then there'll be a couple other winners for smaller prizes and boxes and and all kinds of stuff. I mean, we could probably pick 10 winners and I would still have stuff left over. <laughs> so okay. make sure you enter. Your chances are really good. I'm going to have to go through all of this stuff. So you definitely. There I'll might be multiple places you're going to enter. I, everything, <laughs> I'll, be, I'll make sure everything's on the giveaway tab, which I'll put in mm-hmm. the show notes. But there might be multiple things you need to enter on there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We can do that. So that we can give away the different prizes because I think they're different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, I think that's everything. All right, tell them what to do. Fuck your day up. Make sure you're a bitch. Don't be a dick. Bye, guys. Bye. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. You could take a look in a book, that's fine. Or you could sit back, relax, and unwind and read.